All right, we start a new series today, Kings and Kingdoms. We're going to take the next four weeks to look at some kings, the first kings of Israel. Today we're going to start with Saul, then the next two weeks we'll look at David, and then ultimately look at Solomon. And what we're doing is really getting kind of bringing you into our summer preaching series. You may remember last summer we spent the whole summer in this. Remember that? Well, guess what? Now is the time to find it wherever you put it. Dust it off again. Get ready to go. Uh, Our goal is to take three summers and get you all the way through the scriptures in three summers. And so uh, we're really kind of getting back into it today. Uh, It's kind of the starting of the 10th chapter. So if you can find that book, you do a little reading, catch up. Uh, But we're doing the first uh, part of the series, first part of summer under this theme, uh, Kings uh, and uh, Kingdoms. So to understand the series, to understand these kings, uh, what you need to do right away is understand the atmosphere and the circumstances under which they first uh, get kings uh, in Israel. And uh, the atmosphere can probably be described as an I want uh, atmosphere, right? I probably should have put those quotation things around the I want, but I want, right? And you know how that works, the I want, right? So parents out there, you heard that phrase before? Right, yeah, grandparents, you've heard that phrase before, you know, uncles, aunts, whoever. I mean, we all know about that nature, right? We watch our kids, and it's kind of the I want thing going on. Well, that's kind of the attitude that is going on in Israel uh, when we first get kings. And Saul, of course, is the first of those kings. If you go to 1 Samuel 8, that's where we're going to be in 1 Samuel, and are going to jump a little bit, and, yes, but start at 8. Uh, so if you've got your app or your word, whatever it is, that's where we're going to be, be jumping through. So 1 Samuel 8, uh, this is the experience of when God's people first ask for uh, a king. Now, what's going on here is you have Samuel, and Samuel is God's prophet, right? And if you remember, that's the way things have been working up until this time, that God had a prophet, and then the prophet would be continual, but then periodically, when, when God's people got into some problems, God would raise up a judge, right? And he would give the judge a specific task. The judge would accomplish that task under God's leadership and God's spirit, and then the judge would fade away, right? You remember those judges? Uh, let's see, who can, you, who can name a judge? I didn't hear it. Deborah was a great judge, yes. Barak and Deborah, right? You remember that guy named uh, Samson? Yeah, okay, so he's Gideon, right? So God would, that's those, those people, right? That God would raise up a judge. It would be the prophet, and God would raise up a judge. They'd address the problem, and then the judge would fade away. Well, that's been working just fine up until now. And the problem is that Samuel is the prophet. But Samuel has been an incredibly good prophet, The only problem is he's not been a real great dad. And so he has sons who have grown up, and they're supposed to follow in his footsteps in being a great prophet. But unfortunately, Samuel's sons are not like Samuel. Samuel's sons are corrupt. And so everybody in Israel knows their corruption. They know that they take bribes. And, uh, and so they make judgments based on bribes rather on God's desire and purposes and will. And so the elders in Israel, aware of this, 
come to Samuel here in 1 Samuel 8. It says, finally, all the elders of Israel met at Ramah, discussed the matter with Samuel. That was the matter. What do we do now? Because Samuel, your sons, right? Here it is. They told Samuel, you're now old, Samuel, and your sons are not like you, right? Problem. So, solution. Give us a king to judge us like all the other nations have. So what just happened? Well, the elders in Israel looked at the problem, and they came up with their own solution. And their own solution was simply a practical solution that said, look, here's what we think is the right thing to do. We think that we should just have a king because everybody else has a king, and so why don't we just have a king? Everybody else has a king, so let's be like everybody else and just have a king. Their simple solution is, let's just be like every other nation. Samuel receives that word. He was displeased with it, because he's a prophet, remember? He's displeased with it, with their request. And what does he do? So he went to the Lord for guidance. Do you see a contrast in the experience going on? You have the elders who have a problem, And how do they solve the problem? They solve the problem by coming up with their own solution. And their own solution is simply to be like everybody else. Samuel looks at the problem, and what does Samuel do? Samuel seeks out the Lord. You see the contrasting problem? You see, when you get to it, God defines exactly the problem. He says to Samuel, do everything they're asking you to do, Samuel, uh, because they're rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Ever since I brought them from Egypt, they've continually abandoned me and followed other gods. What's the problem? The elders of Israel are making a decision without seeking the Lord's guidance. And their decision is to just blend in. Just be like everybody else. Do you see the problem? They're not like everybody else. They can't be like everybody else. It is impossible because they are the chosen People of God. They are totally choosing to contradict the very identity that God has placed upon them by His choice of them and them alone. And they are contradicting the very character of God. Why? Because God is like no other God. What are they doing? They are choosing to just blend in. See the problem? Remember the problem? Junior high? Just blend in. Young people, school's coming to a close here. You only got a few more days or weeks going on here, right? How are you going to end up your year? You're going to end up your year just... Getting along, blending in, 
See, the problem for Israel and the problem for us is absolutely the same. There's deception that can take hold of our lives that deceives us to think that somehow our lives ought to be normal. That our lives ought to just blend in. That our lives ought to just be like everybody else's. If you're a Christ follower, if you say Jesus is Lord, that is absolutely not true. You are not just anybody. You are part of God's kingdom. You are a royal priest, a holy person claimed in Jesus Christ. Your life has been set apart not to be just ordinary, but to be absolutely extraordinary. You don't live. You aren't chosen just so you can somehow fit in and get along. You have been chosen so that you will stand up and you will stand out. You are not here as a Christ follower to just be part of the many. You are here to set the course and set the pace. You are here for God's kingdom. You are chosen. We we get that word. We know that's true. Paul in Romans, he says to people who follow Christ, if you say Jesus is king, Jesus is Lord, he says, look, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. What do the elders of Israel want to do? Copy the behaviors and cultures and customs of their world. They just want to be a have a king just like every other nation. No, that's not who we are. We don't just fit in. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and it's pleasing and it's perfect. Who likes good, pleasing, and perfect? You bet. You better. Every hand in the house ought to be up right now. We like good, pleasing, and perfect. You bet. That's, that's what we're called to have, see? We are called to live extraordinary, not ordinary. And the temptation for us is the same temptation those elders have to just kind of get along, to just kind of just kind of go with the flow, be in the crowd. First John, John says to us, listen, no, don't, don't, don't love this world. Don't love the things it offers you. Don't do that. When you love the world, you don't love the Father who's in you. The world, it offers you only the cravings for the physical stuff and everything that you see and and gets you into pride and achievements and possessions. That's just not where the Father is. Besides this world, it's fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will do what? Will live forever. We're called to something higher, bigger, greater than ourselves. Not ordinary, but extraordinary. That's the atmosphere. That's the atmosphere that we get Saul, the first king. And amazingly, God goes along with the decision. God goes along and says, okay, this is what you want. I'll give you what you want. But be careful what you ask for. And so he says to Samuel, listen, I'll go ahead and I'll give him a king. 
but you need to warn them about the king. So there's a whole word of warning in that, in 1 Samuel 9, I think it is, there's a whole word of warning where Samuel says, look, this is what you're going to get. Just know this is what you're going to get. And God gives them a king. He chooses Saul, and he chooses Saul, and the people are going to love Saul. Why? Because Saul, Saul was the most handsome man in Israel, head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. If you're going to choose a king from the outward appearances, does this guy look good on paper or what? I choose Brad Pitt. Huh? No, no. Right? Head and shoulders above everybody else, right? I don't think that's where they get the name for the shampoo, by the way. But I don't think it's a biblical reference. But nonetheless, that right? You think about, why Saul? Because Saul looks so great on paper. He looks like he would literally stand out, right? Head and shoulders above everybody else. Handsome, the most handsome in all of his... He looks on paper like he would be a guy who would totally stand out. And God gets involved in Saul's life. The Lord tells Samuel, listen, tomorrow, he doesn't even know it yet, Saul doesn't even know it, tomorrow you're going to anoint Saul to be the leader of my people Israel, and he's going to rescue them from the Philistines, for I've looked down on my people in mercy and I've heard their cry. So he chooses Saul just like he chose a judge before. And he gives Saul a specific task. He's going to defeat the Philistines just like he chose his judge before. But what's the difference? This time, he is going to raise up Saul to accomplish this task. But when the task is done, Saul is still going to be around and he's going to be king. And so God does something extraordinary. God comes to Saul and he says, I'm going to put my spirit on you, Saul. It's going to come upon you powerfully and you're going to even prophesy and you will be changed into a different person. After these signs take place, do what must be done for God is with you. Does this sound good? God is going to come upon Saul The Spirit of God is going to rest on Saul. And Saul is going to become an absolutely new person. And God reassures Saul, I am going to be with you in every situation, in every circumstance. There's nothing in your future that I won't face with you. Does this sound good? It ought to. Because if you're a Christ follower, that's exactly what he's promised you. If you're a Christ follower that says Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King, and you've been anointed in baptism, then you just were selected the same way that Saul was selected to be king, and you were just given the same promise that Saul was given to rule a nation. You were given the same assurance that no matter what you're in, no matter what you face, I am going to absolutely be there with you. What did he just do? He put you in a position to accomplish kingdom work. He put you in the position, the very same position that he put Saul in, to be kingdom workers, to protect and extend the kingdom of God in this world.
Saul? Saul has the experience. And Saul starts out with such incredible potential. But then his weaknesses start to show. And so we get to chapter 13, only a couple of four chapters later from 8, right? Or from 9. We get a few chapters in. And we're just a few chapters into his reign. And Saul's weakness starts to show. God has made this great assurance to him. Absolute promise to him. Saul is there. The Philistine army is there. And all God asked of Saul was, listen, just wait for Samuel. And when Samuel shows up, Samuel's going to worship, going to offer sacrifice, and then you can go attack and you're going to have victory. But look what happens. Saul gets impatient. He saw the men were scattering from me. He saw that Samuel wasn't arriving. And so what does he do? He takes things into his own hands and he offers sacrifice himself. You say, what's the problem with that? Because he wasn't being faithful. He wasn't doing it God's way. He wasn't relying on God to be the ultimate ruler and authority in his life. And instead, he took things into his own hands. Been there, done that? Been there, done that, right? When, he, when you know as a Christ follower, you ought to just trust God in this situation. When you know as a Christ follower that His Spirit is with you, that He's given you this promise, there's nothing that's going to happen in your life that He can't handle, and you get into the experience, and you start looking at the realities, and you start getting fearful and anxious, and you just start saying, you just take it into your own hands and come up with your own solutions. Instead of just waiting for God's time. Saul doesn't wait. He takes things to his own hands. Samuel finally shows up. And what does Samuel say? say? Saul, you're kidding me, man. How foolish. How foolish. You've not kept the commands the Lord your God gave you. Why didn't you just keep it? You had to keep it. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now, your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. What does God want? What did he want then and what does he want from you now? Just seek obedience. Just trust him above everything else. Just know he is a sovereign king of the universe and his spirit is with you you're a different person in him and you can live an extraordinary life if you just trust him just trust him Saul got impatient took things into his own hands and then he got into self-reliance he got into self-reliance And he comes up with stupid decisions, silly decisions. And so he's getting ready to go into battle. And so he he decides he's going to do this great thing. And he tells all his army, his whole army, he says, listen, guys, we're getting ready to go into battle, so I don't want you to eat all day. There's a bright one. Oh, gosh, let's make him king. Right? The guys are getting ready to go into battle. And he says, no food. Nobody eats. I have a hard time making it from breakfast to lunch. No food. Go into battle. Fight my fights. 
You see, he gets into self-reliance and he starts making bad decisions. And that's what happens to us. We get into self-reliance and we start making bad decisions and they have bad outcomes. And the outcome of this decision is it also, it almost cost his son Jonathan's life because he made a bad decision. He gets into self-reliance and then he just starts ignoring God. He starts ignoring for his own benefit God's expectations on his life, God's desire on his life. So he's there in the Amalekites, and God says to Saul, Saul, I want you to go defeat the Amalekites. I'm going to defeat them for you. You just go in there, and you wipe them all out. It's Old Testament. You wipe them all out, okay? And when he said wipe them all out, he meant wipe out everything. Everything. People, livestock, houses, buildings. You destroy, you wipe out everything. The Amalekites were a cancer in Israel. He knew the problem they were going to become. And so he says to Saul, just go wipe it out. Wipe out the cancer. What does Saul do? Saul and his men spared Agag's life. Agag was the king. What was he supposed to do? Wipe out everything. That meant everyone. He spares the king's life. Oh, and they kept the best of the sheep and the best of the goats and the best of the cattle and the best of the fatted calves and the best of the lambs. In fact, they kept everything that appealed to them. Oh, they destroyed only what was worthless and of poor quality. What did they just do? God said, trust me, go and wipe it all out. The best thing is for you is to just go in there and wipe it all out. What did they choose to do? They did what pleased them. You say, man, how could they mess up like that? We do it all the time. Some of you are doing it right now. God has put an expectation on your life. He's asked you to do something and you're ignoring it. Maybe he's asked you to to finally get around to forgiving somebody that you've been holding a grudge against for how long? And you know, you know in Christ, He's been saying to you for a long time, get over it, forgive them, and move on. And what do you say? I'll get a simple one. Here's a simple one that Christ followers face all the time. Every Sunday morning, we talk about radical generosity and the joy of radical generosity. And we share with you the biblical truth of God's expectation of obedience that you step into radical generosity and you tithe. You give away 10%. Now, we don't do that because we need your 10%. We do that because it's a faith question. It's an obedience question. And yet, how many of us do it? Just because he asks. Or there's somebody that's in your office or somebody that's somehow connected to you, a friend or whatever, and you know they are making bad decisions and they are far away from Christ. And you know God wants you to go talk with them, have a heart-to-heart with them, leading in grace and love, but it's going to be hard. And you don't want to do it. You see, obedience, obedience can be tough. 
And yet, if we just trust Him, if we just trust... The Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul. God became a different... Saul became a different person. He became a different person. And God assured him, His Spirit, that He would be with him in every situation. And all he asked is what? Just trust me. Just be obedient. Just trust me. And every time Saul fails in that trust... He moves farther and farther and farther away from God. And the Lord said to Samuel, I am sorry. I'm sorry I ever made Saul king, for he's not been loyal to me, and he's refused to obey my commands. And he moves farther and farther away from the extraordinary life, the extraordinary king that he could be for God. And where does he move to? Samuel goes to confront Saul to try to get a new start, to try to get things going again. And Samuel goes looking for Saul. He says, where is Saul? And someone says, uh, Saul, uh, he went to the town of Carmel uh, to set up a monument to himself. Where's his head and heart? You see, he's moved so far away. All he can think about now is what? Himself. Himself. And the next morning, Samuel finally goes to Saul and he says, Saul, you went, oop, wait. He finally goes and he says, Listen, Samuel goes to Saul and says, You didn't obey. And Saul's response is what? Excuses. He comes up with all kinds of excuses. Well, I did it. I, I carried out the mission, but yeah, okay, yeah, I brought back the king, and, but I destroyed everything else. And my troops, well, yeah, they kept the best sheep, goats, cattle, and plunder, and sacrificed to the Lord. But they did it for good purposes. They want to give it to God. <laughs> good excuses. Good excuses. The net result for Saul is what? He moves further and further away from God. When all God wants is obedience. All he wants is just to let him, let him be an extraordinary king. He moves further and further away. And over and over again, the Lord is sorry that he made Saul king. And Saul instead replaces the presence of God with jealousy over David and with depression and anxiety and fear. He's a principle. When God moves away, when you move away from God, you open the door to let something else move in. When you move away from God, you open the door to let something else move in. They say, wow, I'm really depressed at this moment, too. What's our hope? What's our hope? Our hope is we know Jesus Christ. We have something Saul didn't have. We know Jesus Christ. We know a king who did it perfectly, who was absolutely obedient in every way to God's will and God's purposes. And this king... This king won the opportunity for us to be different, for that same Spirit of God to rest on us, and for our lives to be different every time we come to the table and take him in. Every time we come to him and say, I'm sorry, our lives become different and they become new. Every single time, God's reassurance and promise comes back to us and says, I'm with you, and our lives can be extraordinary.
we aren't called to be just anybody. We are called to be people of the kingdom of heaven. And all God asks, just walk with him. Just walk with him. And when you fall, come back to him. And he promises to take your life from ordinary to extraordinary. We have an opportunity that Saul failed at. To live that extraordinary life in Christ. To be kings who extend the kingdom of heaven here. Let's pray. Father, thanks that we can learn from Saul. Uh, We don't always get it right either, Lord. You know that. We want to be obedient. We want to do the right thing. We just ask this morning, uh, make us a new person today. Just let that spirit of forgiveness come upon us and help us, help us from this day forward to just step into obedience willingly, to trust you more than anything else, to just bring it to you, not to be like the world, not to seek to be uh, a part of this world at all, but just to be there in the world so that others would know you. So, Lord, we come to you this morning and we ask you, choose us just like you chose Saul. Choose us in Christ to be your people, to live extraordinary lives for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. We ask it in Jesus' powerful, kingly, and precious name. Amen. Amen.